Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. For the I, second time in 10 minutes. <laughs> so today is the day after the midterms and I have not looked at the news at all. How did we do? Well, I've read. Well, there, there, wait, I know that Craig Abbott got reelected. I know that much, but I didn't look at much else. Yeah. And Fetterman got reelected. I, I know that. I have only read one article and then kind of scrolled through some posts, but um, the article indicates that it wasn't the um, wave of triumph that the Republican Party was hoping for, that only two incumbents got unseated and the rest are pretty stable. Um, There's some vote, there's some elections that haven't come in yet, so they're or some that are unknown, but um, it wasn't the dramatic tour de force, I guess. <laughs> that, so, yeah. you know, I, I I don't want to create a, a misperception on a part of what I put out. I, I brag that I don't watch TV. That's not entirely true. I'll, I record some shows that I watch that I like a lot. Stephen Colbert, Trevanoa, I record those. And then I belong to a lot of streaming services, you know, like Disney Plus and stuff like that. So I do have a television set. And in the process of getting around from one recording to another, it's impossible to avoid seeing some news and of course, a ton of commercials, 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 commercials. And last night, what made me give up on watching the television was seeing that um, Senator Warnoff and Herschel Walker were in a dead tie in Georgia. And I just don't understand how anybody can think that Herschel Walker would be a worthy person to represent them. That's all. Yeah. I think, I imagine that there's some of that feeling um, on either side, right? Um, How could you vote for this person? And so we can only ever really see it from our perspective, but at the same time, and this is glorifying my perspective, is I'd like to think that the people with a vested interest in improvements for the most people make the obvious sense as opposed to the people who are invested only in a small number of people or in keeping the status quo or in keeping things unchanged. You know, I, mm-hmm. I love, I, I think it was Alice Walker who said that it may have been bell hooks. It's one of the, one or the other it may have been bell hooks quoting Alice Walker, but, um, She says, democracy is an ongoing engagement, a creative project that needs reevaluating at every turn. And the second that we stop growing, changing and reevaluating, she says we've lost democracy. So return to the status quo is not 
forward movement in a democratic state. I mean, democratic with a small d. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, and I think there's some, some truth in that, you know, if, if, if it's meant to be dynamic, because people are always changing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is, I mean, what a nuts election cycle anyway. I mean, there's just so much on the table. Um, women's rights, gun control. Um, yeah. Well, most of the political ads that I saw were ads about what's wrong with my opponent rather yeah. than here's what I propose. Yeah. Yeah. And w- with the society that we have created. Yeah. Um, that's sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, we, we, we essentially still exist in tribalism. And mm-hmm. I, so interestingly enough, I, I just went to um, my doctor's office to have some blood work done. And I saw, um, Eric Gross, who's an acupuncturist who I have seen over my life as well. And we always have great conversations when we pass one another. Sometimes I see him in whole foods and we have these hour long conversations in the aisle, but today somehow we were getting on the topic of human nature within the 10 minutes that we talked. And he said, he read a book Uh, he couldn't remember the name of it. So therefore I don't have it about uh, a study of chimpanzees who we are 99% similar to and how incredibly hierarchical chimpanzee culture is and how incredibly violent it is. So it exists with a, a male ruler and that male dominant chimpanzee has a harem of females who also fight amongst each other to, for privilege to be proximate to the male, the dominant male. And um, the, the weak or perceived um, weaklings in the chimpanzee culture are either cast aside or killed. Um, and anyway, it's, it's very tribal. The male chimpanzee, who is the dominant male, as he declines and falls to ill health and is perceived as weak, they rip him apart and eat him. And the reason this study is interesting is because of our close relationship to chimpanzees in terms of DNA. And the difference between us and chimpanzees is a more developed prefrontal cortex Mm. that, yeah. And, um, it's it's just interesting, <laughs> you know. I don't know enough about the book to say more about it, but as a thought exercise, you can go, "Oh wow, we still really are tribal and, and turf protective," and um, that prefrontal cortex piece that we can stop and go, "I have a choice here. I can do something different, right? I, I don't have to do it the way I've always been taught. I don't have to do it the way." I'm being told I can do something different mm-hmm. is probably underdeveloped in us, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we did not do a podcast last week because no. we were busy with Holly giving me expert <laughs> advice and guidance and help in the move that we are making, which 
will take place next week. Yeah. So we probably won't do a podcast next week either. Yeah, that's all right. A, a week <laughs> just... from today. A week from today is the day of my actual physical move. Wait, and, it's uh, Wednesday, not Tuesday? No, it's Tuesday. Okay. Uh, they're packing the house on Monday. Mm-hmm. And they're moving the stuff on Tuesday. Okay. So Tuesday night, we will be sleeping in our new place, which I am very excited about. Yes, there are parts of not living where I currently live that are going to I'm going to miss and all of that. I've had a wonderful 37 years there, but I will also be grateful to be out from under it and living somewhere else. The woman that I'm married to, and forgive me for sounding sexist, But I think the cave is always more important to the woman than the man. Mm. And this cave that we have lived in for 37 years is something that she helped design. So it's really hard Mm. for her to be leaving this. And she's a four on the Enneagram. And I don't say it to be dismissive, but fours on the Enneagram have strong attachments and, Mm -hmm. you know, Put a lot of energy into the way things look, and so that'll be something that she'll have to, to move yeah. that. So it's a it's a very emotionally as well as physically exhausting time. Yeah, uh, thirty seven years is a long time to live in one place. Yeah, probably the longest time you've lived in any one place, longer yes, than your childhood yeah. home. No, yeah. no yeah. question about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, I, it's both like a testament to that humans can always do something new. You are resilient. And also how incredibly strong our attachments are. Yeah. We, yeah. And, and, you know, um, I'm working inside of a religious system that I mm-hmm. do not comprehend at all yeah. when it comes to this. Because the Methodist religious system is committed to itinerancy where people move around a lot. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, uh, it can feel really destabilizing for sure. It's yeah. an, I wonder what your, um, do you ever dream about houses? Um, well, I have of course in the past and when I was in union training, the, the house is a, a, or certainly the house you live in, or the house that you in the dream live in, is always seen as a um, representation of the psyche, mm-hmm. which is everything about us that isn't physical. So, um, as a matter of fact, a recurring dream I had when I entered training was that someone was breaking into my house, mm. and I woke up. I could hear them breaking in, so I woke up. So in the dream, I dreamed that this is no longer a dream. Hmm. It was it was reality. And in the dream, I either couldn't get to the place where people were breaking in. I didn't have the strength to keep them out. Hmm. I couldn't move, you know, in the dream. Mm-hmm. Those that really sluggish running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, so... Um, I would wake up from that dream with my heart just pounding and saying to myself, thank God, this is just a dream. And then when I got into analytic training, I learned very quickly that trained Jungian analysts are offended if you say it was just a dream. (laughs) 
yeah. because they take a dream as more real than what happens in what they call the outer world. Mm. They don't refer to the real world and the, because the dream world is real to them. Yeah. So the house and the, the, the broad analysis of that dream is that there was something that wanted to break into my awareness that my ego was defended against. Mm. Mm. and being open to seeing what that was and embracing that uh, made that dream go away. I haven't had it since. Now, mm. I'll have it tonight just because I said that. That's but, right. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that it's, you know, what we were talking about the last time we did a, a podcast about entanglement, yeah. which I think is, is in the realm of talking about my, the mystical. Right. A lot of people are resistant to because if they were to embrace it, it means they have to move from one level of understanding how the world works to another. And we have a hard time doing that. Yeah, it's, it is a pretty um, liminal space to exist in between the science and the mystical, right? And, yeah. and it, there doesn't necessarily have to be a between. I um, Well, real quickly about the house, um, my dreams when I do dream about a house, which is an image that appears very consistently in my dreams. It's always my childhood house, which is the house that I lived in the longest so far. I'm about to surpass that here in a couple of years with this house, but, um, and this probably will become the house that I live in the longest, but I, that's still the house of my psyche kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe for a lot of reasons. And then on entanglement, this kind of mystical liminal space, um, oh man, I just had a, something pop in about a conversation I had with my oldest son last night. I read another article about, um, coincidences and entanglement in the Atlantic. I think I forwarded it to you. I don't know if you got around to it. You've been quite busy, <laughs> but, um, it, he has a lot of, um, lines about this, this challenge that we have with embracing that liminality, this space between what is known and what is not known. And oftentimes with coincidences, which is another word for entanglement, we chalk it up to either chance, you know, kind of a numbers game, which mm-hmm. is very scientific and mathematic, or God. And, oh, well, God caused that to happen in my life, right? When in fact, the answer is probably somewhere in between. So his, I would say his kind of broad-based conclusion is entanglement is just the truth of reality. It happens all the time coincidences happen all the time it's a matter of being open to it mm-hmm. of being aware that they happen all the time you or i are not special because we experience entanglement but our awareness around it may make mm-hmm. the entanglement more significant if that makes sense mm-hmm. um anyway it's a good article um, he, he leaves the reader with some kind of like, you decide, <laughs> which is, I think, a well-written piece. But. So I, I, I have, I could spend the rest of the time talking about experiences of entanglement that I have had that mm. I think go beyond somebody saying, well, that was just a mere coincidence. And they continue to happen to me a lot mm-hmm. um, and and I I think 
the way that Kathleen Singh talks about this in her books, particularly her book on unbinding, which is mm, the hardest. Have you mm. read it? I have not yet. Yeah, I have it in my queue, but I haven't read it. Well, it is a really hard book to mm. read. Mm. Um, I don't, I met Matt Russell, our mutually good friend and I, Matt's working his way through that book. And Matt says he takes it a couple of pages at a time and just mm. lets it marinate. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So this is Kathleen Singh's, I think it's her, probably her most important book. Her Grace in, in Dying book was certainly the first thing that I read that attracted me to her. Mm-hmm. But this book is shows her understanding of Buddhist philosophy. Mm. And... Um, you know, at the time you and I were co-teaching during COVID and we did the Four Noble Truths and the Eight Steps, uh, we thought we did a pretty thorough job with that. We just barely scratched the surface. And so Kelly Ting is going really, really deep in, mm-hmm. in, in this thing. And she says that, and it's from her that I got the idea to, to, to reply the word God with the word grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She says that in the process of unbinding from our attachments, that we have that we have the best opportunity to experience and trust grace. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I I wonder if these entanglements that you're experiencing that feel quite deep, you know, things happen like um, in waves, you, you, you know, you go through, I go through periods of time where I, I don't remember my dreams. They don't, they feel fragmented. They feel like little pieces um, and there's not much to do with. And then I go through periods of times where I have intensely visual, visceral dreams. And it's like, pay attention, <laughs> you know, and I think the same thing about these kind of entanglements, right there, you can go through a lot, a long period of time, just sort of doing your day to day. And I wonder too, you know, sometimes like in these moments, there's like a time out of time moment, almost you're in a time out of time moment right now where your life is in transition in a lot of ways. And so all mm-hmm. these entanglements come to give you support to go, mm-hmm. even in this time out of time, you are supported and loved. I read an article the other day about Dusty Baker, manager of the Houston Astros, <laughs> who is the oldest manager to have won a World Series. Surprised I didn't lead with that. And one of the few black men to have uh, coached in this for this long and been in baseball for this long and to have reached this level of prominence. Not because there aren't other capable black men, but because black men aren't often given the opportunity. And he is beloved in this sport. The title of the article was, does Dusty Baker even know how much he's loved? (laughs) And this relates, I'll get there, but it talked about, it interviewed no, somewhere between eight and 10 people who just decided to show up in Houston on Saturday because at some point in their life, Dusty Baker had had a huge impact on them. And the, the number of people who just came to be in that moment. And I, I was one of them. I was like, Josh, we're going, if it's tonight, I want to be there. I want to like be there with Dusty Baker. (laughs) 
even though I didn't get to see him, I didn't get to shake his hand, but there's this feeling about him that he is just beloved and he was held in this crowning moment of glory that he's been wanting for his whole entire career. I say that to say, you too are so loved. Hmm. And so these entanglements that get to show up for you in a time of transition and maybe a little bit of destabilizing, Hmm. um, it's like allowing yourself to be loved by all the people Hmm. who have ever loved you. Oh, wow. What beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take that. Okay. (laughs) I'll keep that in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I'm, of course, as you know, I love what I get to do. I love both sitting with people individually and I love, I love teaching. And um, it's just been my calling and what I've felt fulfilled to do. And when you were talking about things coming in waves, I think about a guy who came to see me. She, I'm going to say probably close to 35 years ago, a guy came, we had an office, you remember this, I had an office way on the West Loop, and uh, I love that office too, but um, this guy came to see me and he said, I asked him, uh, what do you want, why are you here, and he said, well, I want you to just sit with me and help me reflect on um, the fact that I'm thinking about making a, a job change, and I said, well, I'm not a career counselor. I don't know anything about that, but I'd be happy to, to listen to you. What what brought you to this point? And he said, well, I have a good job. I make a lot of money doing what I do, but um, I'm not bored with it, but I do it mindlessly. You, it, it, you know, it's like when you get in your car and you drive from one side of town to another and you have done it so often that you don't have any wrecks and you don't kill anybody, but you couldn't tell anybody how you got from home to work. You know or what whether, I mean? Or whether you ran that stoplight. <laughs> you yeah, or, whether you, you or whatever, lights. but you did, you got there. Yeah. And, and I said, of course I know what you mean. I think everybody knows what you, you mm-hmm. mean. Uh, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a surgeon. And I said, yeah, I think you need to change jobs. <laughs> I didn't say that. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to come to that surgeon. (laughs) And and let me tell you, he did end up changing jobs. And he and I have stayed in touch Hmm. all of these years. He's now living in the Pacific Northwest, doing something dramatically different, very happy in what he's doing. And he credits me with helping him make that change. I just watched him do it. But yeah. well, we all go through pe- periods where if we wake up, yeah, it's our salvation. And if we don't, we just have to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're presented with those opportunities all the time. You say he credits you for helping him make that change. Uh, likely you held space for him to reach down inside of himself and make that change, you know, and that, I think that um, I, I'm thinking of that. You've done a whole talk on this exact phrase, the mind, the gap, mind, the gap. Do you remember that talk? I don't, uh-huh. I can't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think of that, the minding the gap, we, we need placeholders. We need people to hold us in these times where 
we're, we're coming into something new and unknown and um, a testament to how you have lived, I imagine, is how many people show up in the gaps. Yeah, the, the, the psychiatrist with whom I was lucky enough to study uh, briefly, a guy named Carl Whitaker. Mm-hmm. Carl Whitaker was uh, probably the one of the, the the leading people, if not the lead person in the medical field, who left who led the field of, of psychiatry and medicine, particularly psychiatry, from being male, individually focused to a more systemic and inclusive position. Hmm. And Whitaker referred to the therapy room as a crucible. Hmm. Uh, later, David Snarch, another family therapist, psychiat- psychologist, not a psychiatrist, would use that, that uh, same phrase as a crucible. You know, a crucible is something that is used in chemistry experiments to keep a reaction from getting out of control. Hmm. Hmm. So you can put into the crucible all of these elements and in miniature see what the reaction is without them blowing up the whole building. Wow. And then you can kind of try that out and go. So I think good spiritual teaching creates a crucible in which people can. (laughs) Get just close enough to the edges of blowing up, but don't quite quite blow it up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. See what this is like. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and Whitaker would sometimes do things that would absolutely blow up mm. systems. And um, I remember some one of us in a, a class with him said, well, Dr. Whitaker, if you do this, what's going to happen? And he said, I don't know. Mm. We'll just wait and see what pieces fall down and how to reassemble them. Yeah. And in some sense, that's always true, right? Like the, the, yeah. the things that we think we have control of are very rarely in our control. And I'm talking about the, yeah, the things outside of ourselves, you know? We don't, we don't control anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm just that, that, right? And the, the, it's an illusion. The, the comfort of being out of control. And for sure, I'm a person who teeters on that edge of uh, wanting to maintain the illusion of control over my body. So I, you know, like I, I don't get drunk. I don't like, there are things that I don't do to, to, to make sure that I get to feel like I have some control over my body. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also like love adventure and mystery, even as a thought exercise, you know, I, I lean into that, like, well, what will, teeter me towards the edge of, of testing my attachments or testing my ability to control. Um, that's a very counterphobic six behavior, by the way, <laughs> I think. Well, you know, yeah. nothing, I mean, just think of this, there's very little that throws your life into some total chaos. It's going out, putting the key in your car and nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got your day all planned you know where you're going you know what you're gonna buy yeah and it, the engine doesn't turn over that's right that's right that's right yeah that's a great great uh-huh. thing uh-huh. yeah oh man that's that's interesting my my oldest son so we had a little bit of a, a like 
family meeting last night where we're having some struggles and, you know, I've got an 11, 12 and 13 year olds, either in adolescence or pre-adolescence. Um, one of my kids is really testing a lot of boundaries. So we just had a kind of a reset and talked about what our values are and what's important to us. And each person got to say something. And my oldest son said that, um, trust, love, and support were the most important things to him. And I asked, what does each of those things mean to you? Do you feel trusted, loved, and supported by us? And do you feel that you, you know, just, and he said in this, um, yeah, and this broke me open. He said, I don't always feel supported. And I said, why? And, um, can you say more about that? What does it look like? So my oldest, and I, I don't talk about this very often, but I'm talking about it here. Um, my oldest son is on the spectrum and he uh, would be categorized more as Asperger's. He lives in a really powerful world. His world is dynamic and creative and very interesting. And he said, I don't know if you understand my brain. Wow. And I just burst into tears. And um, I said, you're probably right. <laughs> I don't, but I, you know, I would love for you to share it with me. And I say very often that you're the reason I'm doing a PhD because you were asking me questions I couldn't answer. And I wanted to try. Um, my point is that there is always a part of us that feels unknown, right? Right. There is a part of us that is so special that only we can know it. And maybe not even if we're not awake, alert and paying attention, you know? Right. But the ways that we feel supported by the people around us really shape, really, really shape our behaviors, our choices, how we exist in the world. Mm -hmm. I know that didn't really relate to your getting in a car and nothing happens story, but um, it's a wake-up well, call. Yeah. You, you can't drive your son like you thought maybe you could. I can't drive my son like I thought maybe I could. Right. And nor I have to make is. the space for him to learn how to do it. You know? and nor, he, nor he his mother. Nor what? Say that again. He can't drive you either. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so in some ways, what it, oh, I'm just sort of having this in the moment is it's a recognition, you know, mothers and children are literally unified. Our children mm -hmm. come from a unified state and then they are born into the world and it's completely disunified. Um, I read something the other day that mothers can continue to carry the cells of their babies for decades. Mm -hmm. So the cells of my children are still swimming around in me, which might explain some of that sort of like sixth sense that mothers have about children, right? There's literally mm -hmm. part of them still living inside of us. But that moment may also be a recognition that like, as much as I want to hold him close and keep him here, keep him in me, he's his own person. And that the pain of be realizing you're your own person mm -hmm. is so deep, you know? So uh, I realized when, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen yet. I know you were other, uh, otherwise occupied 
this Sunday that Stephanie War Warfield was. I haven't gotten here. to. I need to. Thank you for the reminder. She's, yeah, she's. she's I, I know you know her and love yeah. her, and uh, she's she's really she's an amazing story. Yeah. yeah. And so we, I had an interview with her in uh, in the class, and she asked me a question. And she, the question she asked me was, if you had one book to recommend, mm. what would it be? <laughs> I said, why are you asking me that as if I didn't know? And she said, because you can't give a talk without recommending five. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But related to what we're talking about, yeah. I've discovered a new author, David Benner. And oh, Holly, he is so good. Hmm. The book that I'm currently reading is the second of his that I read, and it's called Spirituality and the Awakening Self. I don't think there's anything in the book that you don't know, but the way that he puts things mm -hmm. and his references, it just shows how brilliant he is and everything. Anyway, he talks about how we never, ever, ever physically or psychologically leave the tribe that we're born into. Mm. Mm -hmm. And yet if we don't move away from that tribe, we don't grow. That's right. And he said, it's, it, and he references um, uh, Ken Wilber all mm. the way through his writings. And I've tried to read Ken Wilber and I don't understand him. He's way, way over my head hmm. in things. But I've stolen some things that other people have said that Ken Wilber said. And one of the things is that you you transcend and include. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You cannot cut your ties with your tribe, but you transcend and include. Yeah. And um, Benner talks about this in terms of religion, which is very helpful because he grew up in a Christian context, mm -hmm. but it's very clear that he's transcended the Christian religion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's still important to him, but he's not controlled by it. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, totally. Oh. I totally know. I, even in that very specific example, I, yeah. I, continue to know that Christianity will and does have the largest impact on me as a religion than any other religion. And I feel apart from it. Yep. Yeah. I, I imagine that might be true for you too, in some ways. I I think it is true yeah. for me. Yeah. And I, I feel privileged that I'm able to be part of a religious organization that supports my teaching and allows me to say that. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. Because in, yeah. a, in a lot of places, I would be asked to pack my belongings and leave. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you've challenged the tribe a little, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> well, the, the, the tribe needs to be challenged yeah. if the tribe is, you know, if your religion makes you small, if your religion makes you prejudiced, if your religion makes you misogynistic or anti-gay or any of the things that Jesus was never, Yeah, it's a bad religion yeah this is a, a major um overlap of church and state but i think that about the way we vote too if our vote makes us small or makes someone else small or you know excludes rather than includes you know the the thing that has bothered me the most about where we are as a country has been this wedding between mm -hmm. uh 
alleged Christianity in politics. Yeah. And um, boy, the, in, anybody who carries Jesus and the American flag together never understood his relationship to yeah. Rome. Add a gun into that and <laughs> you've got a hot mess. So, yeah. 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 Well, I will, I will see you physically in other times and places between now and the next two weeks. Yeah. Because Holly, for those of you who are listening to this, is helping us make this move. And, yeah. uh, but I, we probably won't do a podcast next Tuesday because yeah, I'm, I think you'll be disconnected. <laughs> I think I'm going to be. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll see you soon. (laughs) Okay. Love you. Bye. Bye. Love you.